0: 6 starting at verse 30 if you have a bible you can turn there mark 6 mark is the second book of the new testament matthew and then mark i'm going to start just by reading a couple of verses in the beginning of isaiah 55 this is an invitation from the lord himself he says come all you who are thirsty come to the waters and you and you who have no money Come, by and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on, what, on that which is not bread? Or your labor on what is, does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful faithful love promised to David. So last week we read, in part, of Herod and his decadent birthday bash. And that, that birthday bash ended in death. It ended in the tragic murder of John the Baptist. I think in contrast this morning, Mark moves on to another feast, if you will. Jesus hosting a feast, hosting a dinner for some 5,000 men. Now, this is one account that each of the Gospels tells. And we say 5,000 men because that's how they counted people in the first century in this area. So, Matthew gives us the little bonus of 5,000 men besides women and children. So it's pretty safe to say that this could have been some 10,000 plus people. And Jesus feeds these on one boy's lunch. I think through this we see a picture of a coming promised heavenly feast. We see Jesus as the giver and sustainer of life to those who are willing to come to him with empty hands. We hear echoes of the past, of Israel's history, of Moses leading people through the wilderness, of of God's provision of manna, this bread from heaven, of Elijah feeding a 100 prophets on 20 barley loaves, a Moses who prays for one who would come that would lead God's people so that they would not be a sheep without a shepherd. Of the Lord God being the ultimate shepherd of our lives as David prays in Psalm 23. And all of this points us to a greater Moses that was to come. And a greater exodus that was to come. And a greater provision of manna from heaven that was to come. A greater prophet, the good shepherd of our souls, Jesus Messiah. So let's start Mark chapter 6. We're just going to start with verses 30, 31, and 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So this is kind of the height of Jesus' popularity, we might say. Um, Last week we reflected on the importance of seeing the disciples mission and ministry as an extension of the ministry of Jesus and how that's still true for us that his message was their message his authority was their power his his authority his their his power was their power everything that they did as they went out on this kind of short-term missions trip was supposed to be an extension of his ministry and that should continue Donald English writes, the root of discipleship is attachment to Jesus himself. The root of discipleship is attachment to Jesus himself, from whom the disciples' life comes. So as they return from this missionary journey, this two-by-two this, this two sending out, they, they come back to the one who has sent them out, and they appropriately have a time to debrief. I imagine that was a thrilling time. Jesus, you, 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 you'd never know what happened. We, and, I, you know, Jesus is probably sitting there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, no, yeah, no, I, I know. <laughs> but, you know, oh man, we, people were healed and, and we were able to share the kingdom of God just like you did, Lord, and, and demons were cast out in your name. Jesus just rallies them together, hearing, comparing notes, I think it's a really it's a really good example of a rhythm that we should have with the Lord. You know, so often we're kind of we go out on our own forgetting that this our ministry and even of our personal lives are supposed to, supposed to be an extension of his. So I think we need to always be comparing notes with the Lord. Lord, is our ministry collectively, is is my life displaying what it is to be an extension of your ministry and your life and your character and your nature? Whatever I'm about, am I about in your name and can I rightfully say that? And is it for your glory or is it for mine? And as we compare notes with the Lord through prayer and as we read his teaching and example and his word... The Lord can enter in through the power of the Holy Spirit and and bring encouragement. Yeah, that was beautiful, right on. Oh, there's some correction that needs to, to happen here. We need to be comparing notes with the Lord. We need to be constantly debriefing what our lives are about and where they're going and how they're centered and what we're reflecting. So the disciples are doing this. And and as they're doing this, they're continually pressed in by the crowds. So much so that, again, they they don't even have a chance to eat. We've heard this before. So Jesus invites them. He, He invites them to what we might call just a restful retreat with him. And he says to them, these weary guys, these tired guys, excited, but but just worn out. He's mindful of our state. He's mindful that we're but dust. And he says, hey, guys, you need a break. And he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus says in another place in the Gospel of Matthew... He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That yoke would have been a picture of discipleship, a picture of coming under the Lord's teaching. You know, when you hear those words, and you hear that kind of invitation, especially in our harried and frenzy, frenzied lives, don't you, don't you find yourself almost wanting to lean into them? Uh, can that possibly be true? Don't you find yourself just being drawn, just wanting to even lean into the Lord? Is there really a place of rest I think somehow as Christians we've bought into this lie, maybe especially in our culture, that overworking is something to be proud of. And that rest is something to be ashamed of. Now certainly laziness is a different issue. But overworking is not something to be proud of, and rest is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, rhythms of rest, sacred rhythms of rest, are something that God has instituted as good for mankind. A God that never tires, right? If he can breathe billions of stars into existence and know them all by name, if he can speak something into existence from nothing, this God who never tires on the seventh day of creation says, hey, I'm going to take joy in this and I'm going to rest Shouldn't we? Wasn't he setting an example for us? Rhythms of rest let us step back, reorient, disconnect from our technology, pray, meditate on the Lord's word, read, find a tranquil shoreline somewhere, We charge our body and mind and soul in in unhurried spaces. So so that that may be a question for us this morning, even here. As the Lord says, come, let's rest together, rest with me. I say, do I trust the Lord with that? Or do I say, no, I, I always have to be working, I always have to be busy, I always have to be productive... Or do I say, no, God, you know best, and if you know best and you're my creator, you know I need rhythms of sacred rest. I'm going to trust you in that. I'm going to prioritize that. I'm going to have a daily devotion with you. Come and rest with me. I'm going to have a weekly Sabbath. Come and worship with a community of believers. Throughout the year, I'm going to have a time or two where I just get away to an unhurried place, recharge, rejuvenate, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. So they don't. They do. They go. They go out on a boat. Sounds like a great idea, Lord. Verses 33 and 34 of Mark chapter 6. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So this is possible. If you have a strong headwind, it's not a a large body of water. They could have been close to the shoreline. Hey, there's Jesus! You know, they're running on ahead. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So now we're going to sound like we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth. Because what I'm going to say next is, though what we just talked about is absolutely true, there are times, there are special occasions and circumstances where you're going to see and need, maybe even unexpectedly, you're going to be called to push through your fatigue. Now, I will make a side note. If that, if you go, oh, well, that's my life. If that is the every moment rhythm of your life, every day rhythm of your life, let me challenge you, that's probably more about you than it is your circumstances. Because God says you need rhythms of rest. But there still are going to be unexpected circumstances where you're going to be really tired, and you're you're going to need to push through your fatigue. Now, I suspect that the disciples love this idea... Like I said, a tranquil shoreline, a quiet beach, some rest with Jesus, uh, that not the clamoring of the crowds and the demands of everyday life. And then as they're nearing the shore, <laughs> if you can picture this, right, they're thinking, ah, quiet beach, right? Jimmy, you, you know what quiet beaches are, right? Quiet beach. Yeah, like in Haiti, right? Get away from the crowd of Port-au-Prince, find a quiet beach. Ah, so good. And as they're nearing the shore, <laughs> here they come, thousands of people. How would you feel about these people? Honestly, any, any thoughts? How would you feel in that moment? No, please, leave me alone. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're intruding, sure. Find another beach. beach. (laughs) Yeah, you've already laid claim claim to that place, right? Somehow it's yours. It's like after a long week, you know, you've had a long, hard week, and you're kind of expecting... You know, that, that, that time alone, you're expecting maybe just a time with a friend. Maybe you're expecting that time with your spouse. And then all of a sudden, the unexpected call, all of a sudden, the unexpected visit. This is where my wife is really, really gracious. You know, and, and you know, we're, we're just about to sit down. And wow, we have a night to ourselves. And someone pops in or someone calls. And Cheryl's like, oh, welcome. Have you eaten? And I'm just like. <laughs> I thought we were going to Netflix and chill. <laughs> Woe is me. But, but Jesus doesn't see this crowd as an intrusion, does he? And this is where, again, the Lord is so beyond us, but by the Holy Spirit of God, we're called to be like him. And that's, those are both true, right? You say, man, I, I don't instinctively have that reaction The Lord is so beyond me. So the Lord, it actually, Mark says that the Lord had compassion on them. And what that literally means in the Greek is that he's so inwardly moved that he's driven to do something outwardly. That he has such pity and such compassion that he's so moved internally that he's driven to do something about it. And here's here's an interesting thing. The gospel writers only ever use this Greek word concerning Jesus. The only other time it's used is when Jesus is telling stories about what this kind of compassion looks like. Hey, there was a Samaritan that came upon this Jew that was beaten and mugged, and the religious people had skirted on the other side of the road, but the the Samaritan, what, had, yeah, had compassion on him, had pity on him. It's the same word. Those are the only places it's used. So it's like the gospel writers are cueing us in that if I'm going to have this kind of compassion... If I'm gonna be moved this way inwardly, so that it drives me to love outwardly, it's gotta come from the riches of Christ. To Jesus he sees these people like like sheep without a shepherd. And you know, most people are led by their wits and led by their opinions, and we see that today as much as any day, maybe. Or at least it's more in our face. They're led by their impulses, they're led, they're led by desires and instincts, or pride and insecurity, and this crazy combination of all these things. They're red, led by common cultural trends. And, and on a constant quest for survival, on a constant quest for, for purpose, for meaning, for identity, for satisfaction. And that was true for these people, too. And Jesus doesn't come up to them wagging his finger, like Christians so often do. Oh, you're just not getting it right, you morons. For the only you knew, chasing this and that. Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at these people as, as wandering, lost, desperate, vulnerable. Sheep without a shepherd. He sees them as people who need guidance and people who need tender care. People who need to be fed and nurtured and protected. His heart goes out to them, and he's going to do something about it. And again, he he puts their needs before himself. He's not embittered. He's longing to help. And he begins to feed them. But how does he begin to feed them through what we read? He He teaches them. He teaches them. He says, you think this, but the kingdom of God is like this, and you think this about God, but let me tell you a story. And, and, and you, you know, you're, you're gone by your wits and your desires, but those, you know, there's a way that seems right to man, and in the end it leads to death. Let me show you the way of life. And he just teaches them, and he teaches them, and he teaches them, and he feeds their spirit, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he needed to feed them through his teaching. Feed them the word of life. Feed them about the kingdom of God, and a coming savior. That there can be reconciliation with God. And the forgiveness of sins. Let's read 35 through the end here. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a very remote place. Like you didn't know that. This is a very remote place. In case you didn't know. They said. And it's, getting, and it's already very late. Send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then the Lord directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people... He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So evening is coming on fast. The crowds don't seem to really care a whole lot. Jesus doesn't seem to care a whole lot. But the disciples are like looking at their sundials, you know. And they come to Jesus, and they're like, "Boy, it's getting late. It's getting late. Uh, you know, they, these people—these people must be exhausted. They, they're probably really tired. They're probably really hungry." you know what would be a really good idea, Lord, is that we need to send them away. They can go to the villages, find some breast, find some food. You ever do that when you want to leave someplace? You know what? You must be exhausted. You must be so tired. Let me give you your night. So, So, the likely translation of this is, we're really tired and hungry this was supposed to be our beach, our time (laughs) enough is enough send them on their way tell them to leave it's late afternoon, they're miles from town there's likely enough people to fill um, Crosscutters Baseball Stadium I looked it up actually, capacity about 2,600 people likely they could fill Crosscutters Baseball Stadium four times over with the amount of people that are there And Jesus looks at his tired and frustrated men and simply says, You feed them. Come again. You feed them. How would you have responded? If you can put yourself there, and I know this is one of those stories that if you grew up in the church and went to Sunday school and you've heard it a hundred times, how would you have responded? There's thousands of people there. Not very well. <laughs> okay. You're probably a math guy. You probably would have been doing the same thing. Uh, at least eight months. Lord, do you know how much that would cost? That's ridiculous. They, they give this kind of a, are you crazy type of response. For them, the math doesn't add up. And the God, it's interesting, John's gospel tells us that Jesus was testing them. He already knew what he was going to do. And I wonder how often Jesus tests us this way. I wonder how often Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you what the math says about the problem. I'm asking you what faith in me says about the problem. I'm not asking you what you alone says about the problem. I'm asking you what you in my presence says about the problem. I'm asking you what me being with you says about the issue. You feed them. I I, I was thinking about this and I just thought what if we looked at the commands of God and the commands of Jesus toward faithfulness and obedience? Toward love for God, love for neighbor, toward a mindfulness of the marginalized and the poor, a, a willingness to use our time, talent, and treasure, our resources to serve others, the call to go and make disciples. I, I wonder if we started looking at the commands of our Lord, not as commands of how to see how good we can do on our own. Hey Joe, go do this. Okay, let me see how good I can do it. This Hey, okay, Sue, go. You know, go make disciples. Okay, Lord, I'll go see how well I can do. It. Hey Bruce, you know, go go love your neighbor. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Okay, I'll do my best. Maybe that's not what we're actually called to—to to, to see how good we can do on our own. Maybe God's commands are an invitation of faith. to believe in what can only happen if Jesus is really with us in all his power and authority. What if ever you go and do such and such, whether it's a scriptural command, whether it's a leading of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, it's actually a directive to stop looking at the obvious limitations. And to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And instead of saying, okay, I'm going to do this the best I can, start saying, all right, Lord, let me start seeing beyond the obvious because you're with me. Jesus asks how much food they can gather, and they come up with one boy's lunch. Well, here's one kid's lunch Kyle and I were talking about this last week I'd never really thought of this that way It's like, how well did you actually search? You've got thousands of people there Did they take the first kid that was carrying around a basket? Hey, you! Hey, we got some, a few pieces of bread and a couple fish That's not going very far, is it, Lord? Although, kids, you know, Be, be encouraged Because all all this child did was offer the little he had, and Jesus, all he had, right? And Jesus was about to do something pretty cool. And Jesus tells the disciples to organize the people. God's not a God of disorder, right? But a God of peace, the scripture tells us. And he he orders them to get together in groups. Literally, this, this means in the original language, garden plot by garden plot it's kind of cool. And they're they're out in this deserted place, but we're told, Mark gives us this insight, probably from Peter, of this green grass. They're, They're like out in the wilderness, but there's this lush green spot that they're at. And now he organizes them garden plot by garden plot. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. R. Alan Cole writes, The disciples would indeed look foolish now, in the eyes of the expectant crowd, if no miracle of feeding took place. But this is the risk which faith must take if it is truly to be faith. Jesus gives thanks. A typical Jewish meal blessing would go something like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth he breaks the bread and some some believe this is a now a glimpse forward of the last supper of communion this is my body take and eat jesus our ultimate supply as much as we need and more he divides the fish and what's what's interesting is we're never exactly told exactly what happens in in this miracle Some people try and explain it away, oh, you know, they had some hidden food. Ridiculous stuff. If if a miracle they think is ridiculous, it's just as ridiculous to say they had food in, you know, a cave somewhere, or all of a sudden people were generous. No. Clearly what the apostles are, are inviting us to is to see something supernatural happened here. But what you have to realize also here is this is where you give them something to eat happens. Jesus gives thanks. He breaks it. He multiplies it. He says, break them up into groups. You give them something to eat. All right, here's a piece. Here's a piece. Here's a piece. And you're imagining them baskets, and they start handing it out. They start handing it out. And they start handing it out. Oh, man, I got And They hand it out and they hand it out. Oh, my goodness. And they hand it out and they hand it out and they hand it out. And the supply just keeps coming. And I just imagine these guys that were resentful and kind of feeling bad for themselves and slumping their shoulders all of a sudden being like, this is incredible. And and the joy coming on their faces and the laughter as they're just, oh my, the creator, the Lord of creation, Jesus Christ, is not doing anything out of the usual for him. He's creating. And And the supply is met over and above the need. And after all is satisfied, they collect a basket full of this miracle bread and miracle fish, a basket for each of them, 12 baskets. They probably have it on their next journey across the sea. They probably have it with them. Daniel will be getting into that next week. And the people have been cared for physically and spiritually. This is the dual call of the church, not to neglect one for the other. But it was only one meal. But boy, can one meal really matter? Sometimes one invitation to dinner really matters. One conversation can matter. One act of kindness can matter. One encouragement, one gesture of love, maybe one appropriate embrace for a tired soul. One giving of your time, one prayer heaven's economy can really matter. You feed them. What if every command is not a call to see how good we can do on our own, but an invitation of faith to believe in what only can happen if Jesus is really with us? Surely I will be with you to the very end of the age an invitation to offer our morsels and see Jesus multiply our meager offering beyond our imagination.